G'day, I'm Sean and welcome to the all new Car Expert podcast. Now grab the kids and load up the family bus because today we're going to be talking about some family cars from station wagons to SUVs to hybrid SUVs. So I guess it's a very SUV heavy episode. Back in the hot seat, we couldn't keep him away. Jack Quick is back, ladies and gentlemen. Jack, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Sean. Thank you for having me back so soon. You couldn't get enough of me. <laughs> Thank you for coming back. Now joining us for his first ever trip to the video podcast here at Car Expert, the man with the best hair in the office, and I should know because, well, this, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. James Wong. Hello, thank you for having me. It's so good to be here, finally. <laughs> yes, it's about time. It only took us five weeks to get you here, but we got you here in the end. I know, the people have been asking, so hopefully their questions have been answered. Their <laughs> well, prayers. a person asked, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, we, you know, we, we, we ask for your feedback, so we, uh, we take all of your feedback on board, so thank you for requesting James. Any other requests you have, any feedback you have, do leave a comment below. But we're going to get straight into it. Uh, we, we've heard some sad news this just recently, that uh, the Golf Wagon is no more in Australia. Yeah, some sad news indeed. So yeah, the Golf Wagon, along with a whole heap of other Volkswagen passenger vehicles, are getting the axe in Australia. So the 2023 model year will be the last model year here. So it includes obviously, as we spoke about, the Golf Wagon, but it also includes the entire Arteon lineup. So not only the, the wagon version of that, the shooting brake, but also the lift back. And then last of all, um, there's a new Passat on the horizon, but that's not, not going to be coming to Australia. So it's going to be SUVs moving forward at Volkswagen, at least anyway. I know you're a big Volkswagen fan, James. This must cut really deep for you. Yeah, I'm sort of wondering, do I call it just Volks now because there's no wagon in it? But um, yeah, it was really disappointing, actually. I'm, I actually nearly bought a Golf R wagon when I bought my GTI hatch. So um, I'm a really big fan of wagons, especially these days. They're very, very hard to come by and fairly niche. And I think there's still um, a place for cars like that where you can have a lot of boot space in a more streamlined passenger car body. They handle better than SUVs. So it's a shame, but luckily within the Volkswagen group, there's still a few brands within their umbrella that offer wagons. You just can't get a Volkswagen. <laughs> so. so I guess that, that raises a good point. So Skoda have some really like beautiful wagon options, but could they be on the chopping block next if this is Volkswagen moving away from the wagon sort of thing? It's, it's hard to say because I feel like um, the Volkswagen in Australia, whatever, Volkswagen group is going to be pushing the the people that want a wagon to Skoda. So Volkswagen, ha uh, sorry, Skoda has already confirmed uh, that the new Octavia is going to be coming in wagon body. So that's a Passat buyer if you want that. Um, but yeah, that's about, that's about all I can think of. They yeah. still do that in the RS as well, the Octavia um, RS? I haven't seen just yet. I know that there's going to be a plug-in hybrid version of that globally, but that's not coming to Australia. No. Um, so there's a whole heap of things that aren't coming to Australia, unfortunately. So where does that leave us in terms of, uh, you know, a Back in the day, you could buy a, a Holden SS sports wagon, which was, you know, the 6.2 litre V8. Those were the days. Horsepower. Um, where, in terms of like fast, fun, but not M3 touring budget um, wagons, where does that leave us? Not with a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's really depressing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I'm actually currently writing a review of the current Octavia RS wagon now and trying to um, think of competitors. All I could think of was the um, Subaru WRX sports wagon, which used to be called the Lavorg here, and it's still called the Lavorg in Japan, but we, um, we call it the WRX. And that comes in a few different uh, trim levels between like the 50 and 60 something thousand dollar mark. Uh, beyond that, there's the, uh, the A4 45 TFS 
Cosi Quattro, which is available in just the one variant, and that has the same engine as the Golf GCI with a little bit more power. So, but it's a little bit more expensive, closer to like eighty thousand oh. dollars. So other than that, there's not really anything anymore. Um, I guess you could throw in the Peugeot 508 sports wagon, but they're about to kill the normal petrol one, which... Um, there's three people that are going to buy that anyway. Well, so. they're three, um, you know, they're three people that like good looking cars because I think they look really cool. But good yeah. looking is about the only good that comes with them, unfortunately. Very, very niche. So yeah, they're very, very limited options in Australia compared to what you can get in markets like Europe and the UK, which still have a high ratio of wagons sold there. So yeah, a lot of Mercedes wagons and, and absolutely. Like so we'll move on. Sticking with the uh, Volkswagen family group, James, you recently went on the launch of the new Audi Q5 hybrid, which let's be honest, is kind of a long time coming because the Q5 is fairly old now in, in Australia, mm. but we've finally got hybrid. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so the, the Q5 um, TFSIE, as they call it, is um, is a plug-in hybrid, um, more specifically. They they launched this drivetrain with the pre-facelift version of this generation, you know, five, six years ago, and it's only just come to Australia now when the current Q5 is probably in the last year or so of its life cycle. They're sort of trying to bring in a, a plug-in hybrid that's sort of a little bit different in that it offers a performance boost as well as the electrified aspect and the, the EV running that you can do with a plug-in hybrid compared to something like a RAV4. So they're, di they're really dipping their toes in to see whether there's actually interest. And I think one of the issues that we're going to start with is it starts at around $100,000, which is a lot of money for people that are trying to be environmentally friendly, especially when you can get in some EVs for low $40,000, right? That's exactly That's what I was going to mention. For a hundred grand, I can get myself a really nice Tesla Model Y or something very similar and go fully electric, um, whereas in this Q5, I imagine it's only like 50, 70 ki uh, kilo, uh, km before you start uh, doing petrol power once again. Let's just want to look at the credentials on paper for a second. Uh, it's a two litre four cylinder turbo with the hybrid assist. Now, the power output is actually Okay, let's cast our minds back a few years again mm. to the uh, to the Ford Falcon XR6 and in turn the Turbo Territory, which put out about the same amount of power. That's a huge amount of power, 270 kilowatts, 500 newton meters of torque. Like that's verging on a performance car, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually the most powerful Q5 variant ever. It's more powerful more than, than the SQ. It's even more power than the SQ5, which has, I think, 250 kilowatts. Um, so yes, the, the Q5, we only get the 55 TFSIE. They also have a lower power 50 TFSIE overseas. So it gets a 270 kilowatt, 500 newton meter, two liter plug-in hybrid system. It basically pairs the two liter turbo petrol engine from all of the various um, Volkswagen wagons that we spoke about before. So it's a very popular engine. Oh, so it's um, the, basically the Golf engine. Pretty much. Yeah. Audi claims up to 55 kilometers of EV range That's on a full charge. It's not bad. It's, it's not bad, but it's not great. Yeah, I think is more, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Most of the new plug-in hybrids that you're seeing now are getting higher energy density batteries that can do between 80 and 100 kilowatts. The next generation of VW products will have um, up to 100 k's of electric range from their plug-in hybrids. In our testing, we didn't really get to do a proper you know, EV range test on, on the launch because there was a, quite a mix of you know, higher speed country roads that you wouldn't necessarily do often in a plug-in hybrid, but 
using the efficiency figure that was like in the low 20 kilowatt hours per 100 Ks, which is still not great either by electric car standards, um, you should be able to get 50 to 55 Ks reliably, which, is, which means their claims are accurate, which is good. How quickly can you travel on electric power alone? Are you limited to like 50 Ks now or 80 or couldn't you go highway speeds? Yeah, you can actually go 130. So, you know, in, in Germany on autobahns, there would be people that would be able to put the cruise control at 130 and you'd be able to stay on in EV mode as long as the battery has charged. That's so, pretty cool. Yeah, and it's and it's got like a hundred and I think it's 105 kilowatts and 350 newton meters from the electric motor alone. Oh, so wow. in terms of power, it's actually running the same amount of grunt as um, the base diesel Q5 pretty much. Mm. So it actually gets up and goes quite well. It's over two tons, so it's a bit heavy. Um, but you know, there are some plug-in hybrids that I've definitely tested where the electric motor feels too weak to move certain cars up hills, for example. Like I live in Doncaster in Melbourne's east and we have hills and you know almost little mountains everywhere and if you're just in ev mode sometimes you're really struggling with that electric motor so it never feels underpowered even in electric mode and you can get up to highway speeds just fine and it's very quiet and refined when it does it so yeah, yeah quite impressive cool. so xc60 uh, plug-in is one of the few sort of actually properly close competitors to it but there are quite a few competitors that are a lot cheaper i guess you could argue a slightly different segment but like uh something like an outlander fev mm -hmm. uh just on paper feels like a better a better buy like but well like having been in both of them yeah. well, how would you feel about that i think they're still very different cars i think an outlander buyer is you know looking at that as a like a dress the, the highest version of a mainstream car the trims and finishes um, are obviously very different in the audi the technology in the audi is far superior um, and i think the performance as well the, the audi made a point to say that the performance boost is a key part of the TFSIE brand that they're, they've also confirmed the Q8 will get a plug-in hybrid soon, which runs the same um, drivetrain as the Volkswagen Touareg R. So, you know, that's the sort of level of performance you're looking at. It's a car that can do, you know, it's, it's just over five second sprint to 100 kilometers an hour. For somebody that perhaps does most of their driving to and from work in the city and you know averages 30 to 40 Ks of their daily commute. They're only gonna be running it as an EV anyway. And then when they want to really gun it from the lights or you know take it on a longer trip, they have the performance from something equivalent to an SQ5. And it's actually more affordable than an SQ5. So um, I might just reiterate what I start, said at the, at the start of this little segment is that you can get an electric SUV for the same Model Y. And there's also the BMW iX3 that's around about 100 grand too and we get you similar amounts of performance, if not better performance numbers. And I think that's just worth considering as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, speaking of things to consider, I think what we need to remember is, you know, I don't think we're necessarily saying you can only go EV or you can only go plug-in hybrid or you can only do this. I, I think, believe with plug-in hybrids as well is that there is a place for them, but they're not for everybody. They're a fairly specific use case in that, you know, you may want to move into the electrified world, but you perhaps aren't ready for a full electric car because you're worried about charging it, or you still prefer the engagement of an internal combustion engine, particularly in a performance application like this. Um, I know I sort of fall into that camp. So for me, this probably suits me a little bit better than something like an iX3. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really down to personal preference and choice. And I think the more choice we get, the better. Right, so are you considering maybe purchasing an Audi Q5 or anything else, Mitsubishi Outlander, a Ford Ranger? Well, we have the perfect tool to help you get a great deal on a new car. Head to Google, type in Help Me Car Expert. It's gonna take you to a landing page where you'll see lots of pictures of Paul, and he'll be <laughs> able to help guide you through the finding, getting a good deal, connecting you to a wide range of dealers all across the country to get a brand new car. So if that's what you're looking for, and if that's what you wanna do right now, 
head to Google, type in Help Me Car Expert, and we'll help you find a great deal. If you do buy a car through Help Me Car Expert, leave us a comment and let us know. We want to know what you bought. We want to know how easy it was for you to do it. So please let us know. Uh, we're going to move on to the last topic, guys. Um, a bit of a, I don't want to say hybrid, but a hybrid topic here. We're going to talk about two cars here uh, because I think they're actually kind of uh, very similar cars, but they're one's old and one's new. So the Mazda CX-8 has been around for quite a while now. Uh, starting to feel a little bit old, but still quite popular, I think, among buyers. But Mazda's also just released the new CX-60, which uh, is it's similar but different. Similar pricing, but different engine configurations, different seating configurations. Um, but the, the price is very close. So, Jack, I know you drove the CX-8 recently. Tell us how that felt, because it is a fairly old car now. Yeah, so you did mention that it's quite old and it, and it is old, but it recently just got an update to look similar to the CX-5, so it gets like different front and uh, front and rear ends. Uh, the interior tech is a little bit different and um, I spent the majority of my time in the top spec um, Azami LE. For you, Jack. Yeah, oh no, yeah. <laughs> which has the really cool, um, the two captain's chairs in the second row, the electrically adjustable, very cool, and also had um, and the 2.2 litre twin turbo diesel engine, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I, um, I, I was a little disappointed it's not available in the CX-9, for example, which I understand is like the full fat family SUV that's getting the axe very soon in Australia and everywhere to make way for these new luxury models. But yeah, the CX-8 um, felt just like a big CX-5 to me in all the best ways. Like it was really comfortable. It felt solid on the highway and um, it was just a good car to me. To go to the other end of the scale, now you, you went and spent a lot of time in the CX-60. Uh, I think you were driving a diesel one as well, so this might be... I was. Well, I've driven all of them because I did the yeah. launch, and then I more recently had a bit of time in the inline six petrol. But I have driven the diesel as well. Yeah. Okay. So if you're watching on YouTube, we're going to put a picture up of both of them side by side <laughs> now. Um, how does the new CX60 feel? Just just initial impression straight out of the gate. I think you, you know when you come out of like a CX5 or a CX8, um, the the CX60 feels just like a new generation. Um, of an old formula, it still feels distinctly Mazda. Um, the I think what really what really shows you the development is is those engines. The new inline six engines are notably more powerful. Um, being six inline sixes, they've got a distinct sound as well. So you know they don't sound rattly and whatever like four cylinder diesels do. They they have almost sound European, and it's got a really big car feel to it. it doesn't feel like a, a blown up small car perhaps like the CX-8 does. It feels more substantial and feels like a shrunken big car. It's, it's very, got high shoulder lines, you know, very wide body, um, straight lines in the cabin as well. Um, much more focus on some of the tech and like the luxury details, particularly in the higher end grades. And I think that um, inline six diesel in the new one actually compared to the old um, four cylinder is, is just so, refined and so punchy and it's actually more efficient as well with that um, 48 volt mild hybrid system. Just so just to, to have a bit of a spec battle here, uh, the CX-8 only came in four cylinders, you have a petrol or a diesel. 
Uh, both made 140 kilowatts, the petrol made 250 newton meters, uh, and the diesel made about 450. Jumping up to the CX60 now, um, is they're both six cylinders, they're both 3.3 liter uh, petrol or a diesel. Uh, the petrol makes about 200 kilowatts and about 450 newton meters. The diesel makes uh, a little bit less in the power range, 187 kilowatts, but it does make 500 newton meters. So uh, on paper, they're kind of similar. I guess the big difference is you get three rows of seating in the CX8, you only get two rows of seating in the CX60. Um, but pricing's fairly similar. One gripe I had was the hybrid system. So all the CX60s are hybrid, a variation of hybrid. Uh, and I know, Jack, you had the same problem when you drove it, where you, if you're slowing down and you're coasting and you, I don't wanna say catch it napping, but you just go to accelerate, um, it, it lurches and carries on. It sort of doesn't know where it where it is. Yeah, like... from my understanding, unfortunately, um, I didn't actually get a chance to drive. I was in the passenger seat when I experienced it, but it, I really felt like a, a noticeable lurch. And from my understanding, it's from when the the 48 volt mild hybrid system cuts in and out and it turns off the engine and back on because once the engine turns off and then you're asking it to switch back on, the transmission has to do a whole thing and for and there's a a slight little delay before that actually all gets moving again. It can feel a little bit clunky, unfortunately. Mm, I feel like that's, a lot of cars have 48 volt systems. Um, I, and I know we're talking about a different class of car in terms of the cost, but the new uh, Mercedes GLC 300 is really smooth on and off yeah. that 48 volt system. I feel like Mazda just haven't quite nailed that. Yeah, it's. I think it's a case of what the manufacturer is you know targeting in terms of how they tune it so in the Mercedes because I drove I'm actually running a comparison between the CX60 and the the GLC and so the 48 volt technology behavior was quite different between the two cars Mercedes was obviously going for smoothness and refinement in the sense that it doesn't necessarily turn the engine off every time as you're coasting to a stop and it fires up very quickly whereas Mazda like other companies like Audi and Volkswagen that use similar tech is that it's prioritizing fuel efficiency so it's turning off the engine at every opportunity to make sure that the engine's not running and saving every drop of fuel that it can. But I know that, you know, for yourself and a lot of other people, when you're driving it for the first time, it can be a little bit jarring. So um, it's, it, I think it's, again, you know, very down to personal preference, how the manufacturers tune it. And I guess with the industry moving to all forms of electrification now where, you know, mild hybrids are sort of becoming the baseline now for a lot of the higher end marks as well. Um, you, you're sort of just going to be stuck with this and you're either just going to turn it off or you're going to leave it on and learn to drive around it. I think that brings me to the point where um, Mazda in all of its advertising is calling the CX-60 all hybrid, whereas it's it's mild hybrid apart from the plug-in hybrid, which we'll, we'll talk yeah. about in a sec. But um, I, going back to the clunkiness, I remember experiencing that with the Tonale as well, where there was this quick little dip of nothing until it all happened. But yeah, um, does the CX-60 have the, on the license plate, have an EV little badge? So what does that mean? I think that's the, the standard thing now for all electrified vehicles with high voltage batteries in them because- it's for firefighters to yeah, know. Yeah, for like emergency services, right, yeah. in, if you're in, a, in, a, in an accident, um, it lets them know to be careful of like the batteries and you know in, because a car's metal and that conducts electricity. Don't cut through the orange cable, basically. Exactly yeah. right, and because I think in the past there have been serious injuries or even yeah. death if people have not catered for that. So mm. that that's why they do it. Well, even yesterday I saw just pop up on Facebook a Tesla had burnt for three days, end up oh. digging a trench, filling it with water, and dragging the car in there to put the battery out. So it is one of those. There is a lot of dangers around. Um, 
electrification of cars and, and accidents. So if you're driving an EV, don't crash. That's my advice to you. <laughs> um, now, uh, Jack just touched on it. There is a plug-in hybrid version which pumps out a little bit more power. So it's about 240 odd kilowatts, about 500 newton meters. Did you get to drive the, the plug-in hybrid? I did on the launch, yes. Any good? It's fast, um, but again, sort of like the similar thing around like the transmission niggles and things like that. Um, Mazda has put in a new in-house transmission. This is probably another reason perhaps why you're experiencing this issue with the the way the CX-60 drives in traffic, is that the, um, the transmission doesn't actually have a conventional torque converter. It uses the electric motor from either the mild hybrid system or the plug-in hybrid system as a, a makeshift torque converter. And it's almost like a, it's got a clutch and you know, it's almost like an automated manual. They've tried to make it too complicated for its own good. Sort of, yeah. But so basically the, the benefits of this system from, at least from Mazda Zen, is that it is more responsive um, and it is better for fuel economy um, because it, there's less delay in you know, input to output. Um, but what that has also meant is I think because it's a very early iteration of this technology, you sort of get times when it almost feels a little bit like a dual clutch in that it's sort of trying to engage or whatever and it sort of slurs between like old Volkswagens yeah, yeah and yeah. It's, it's an issue when you're you know coming to a stop and you're sort of feathering the throttle at like low speeds and it can sometimes feel like it takes a moment to realize what you're doing or it sort of lurches and um, I've sometimes found that with the plug-in hybrid there's like this weird whirring noise that almost sounds like a supercharger which is cool when you're giving it full beans but when you're in traffic and like the electric motor is making a lot of noise you either are like it's a bit noisy or is it broken yeah. and you know it's just something you have to get used to but the Fev is good it can do like up to 60 or 70 k's of electric range which is pretty good they offer it across three different trim levels as well which is fairly unique in our market there aren't a lot of brands that offer multiple trim levels of plug-in hybrid um, and I sort of found that because of the extra weight of the battery pack in the rear, sometimes the, the rear end um, slaps over the suspension. We did notice that the suspension is a bit too soft for its own good. Like it's a comfy ride, but yeah, we found on our sine waves, uh, it, it was not bottoming out, but damn close to it. Like not, it's a, not very nice. It was 6 a, had the similar problem where it really It's bangs. a common Mazda thing. I've it experienced it in a lot, like the three and the six and yeah. you name it, the, especially the rear really likes to get a good slap over yeah. the, the over speed bumps, at least in particular. Yeah, I think there's, Probably, I don't know whether they do right in handling here. Um, if they, they don't, don't, they should. Because yeah. <laughs> considering they are consistently in the top 10 best-selling cars Not in too. Australia, um, yeah, they really should be putting a bit more effort into local ride and handling. That being said, uh, CX-90 is just around the corner. And I know they did spend some time driving that uh, at our proving ground. And uh, we'll put a link in the description. Paul went and did a, a drive of it at our proving ground here in Melbourne. Um, so there's, they should know. They should be able to actually tell like what's good, what the car's doing here. I feel like should, there's a whole heap of new investment from Mazda. The CX-60 platform's new. It's a lot of similar stuff's going to be in CX-90 and, and probably a whole bunch of cars going forward. Is it yes. like there's sort of no, so they should be putting in, like they put in a little bit of effort, do a bit of ride and handling in Australia. It'd right. be beneficial, especially if they're going to be investing and giving us all of the SUV models based on this large architecture. So the 60 and the, the upcoming 1780 and then also the three row CX-90 like is going to be heaps of these new SUVs, premium SUVs from Mazda, which we haven't really seen before. And it would be great for Mazda to go all in and make sure that they sell well in Australia.
Mm. Yeah, so I think something worth noting quickly as well, um, something really interesting that the Mazda team told us at the launch was that, you know, these four SUVs that they've got coming out on this platform all have very distinct personalities. So the CX-60 is meant to be like the really sporty one. And that's probably why it's got that weird firmness, but also like the soft tune as well. But the CX-90 being um, very focused on the American market will probably be quite soft and wafty. I haven't driven it yet. We'll be getting one soon. So it'll be, it'll be good to see whether that's the case. And then, you know, we've also got the CX-80 coming, which will be a stretch, stretched CX-60. Yep. So, but because it's more family focused, perhaps it'll be a little bit softer or, you know, a little bit more balanced in that respect to cater for the fact there's a third row in the boot as well but yeah they're all meant to be slightly different so i don't know whether that means they're cars, you not dogs though like we, you know <laughs> we, we, like you just want them to do it like i'm sorry like it's not a ferrari it doesn't need to have a distinct personality it just needs to do the job and do it well and i feel like like mazda's been around for long enough they're not some quirky new brand new kid on the block i love the styling of the cx60 but i feel like if they're going for personality traits in a family suv they're sort of Missing the mark a little bit. But it's a family of SUVs. And in it? every family, there's always a wild child. There's always the boring one, you know? <laughs> right. So, okay, so given the option, uh, you have $65,000 to spend. Would you buy a low-grade CX-60 or a high-grade CX-8? Oh, I don't know exactly. I really liked the CX-8. I think I would go for that. Um, especially that Azami Ellie, the one that I was talking about before. I just really liked how unique it was to have the captain's chairs and it felt special to just park in the in the driveway and I kept on wanting to look back at it. So I think I'd choose choose that one. You, you can also park in the pram parking section at Westfield, so that's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, James? Uh, look, I didn't get to drive the base model, but I've seen a couple of base model CX-60s around and I think they still look really cool and I just love that inline six diesel. So I think the um, the the G that sorry, the CX60 D50E Evolve, uh, specifically with the luxury pack, so you get like the nice driver's display and leather seats. You've done some research. Yeah, I see. I've been. I know. I'll probably end up like talking to some product planner, being like, if I was to theoretically order this car, would I be able to make it happen? Um, but yeah, I think that you know, I really like the styling of it as well, and I think that you know, at the moment, they're still fairly new and and cool, and they sort of stand out. So I think for me, I'd probably go for an entry level CX60 because it's even in the base grade, it's got all the equipment that you really need. So if you haven't seen our CX60 review on YouTube, uh, we'll put a link in the description for it. Uh, Paul has tested both the petrol and the diesel, so we're going to cover off both sides of it there. Uh, gentlemen, is there anything else you want to, any final thoughts you have before we finish up for today? Not really, thank, but thank you for having me no, back, Sean. Jack, it's nice to be back so coming. soon. It's yes, great. It's, it's always I, lovely to have lovely you here. Lovely to chat. And James, it's been great to have you on the couch for the first time. Yes, thank you for having me. I hope that the feedback from this episode is not that they want me off the show now after asking <laughs> me to be on it. <laughs> we'll, we'll just we'll, we'll show that to your boss. We won't show it to you, so it's all good. Uh, look, we'd love to know any feedback you guys have. Is there anything you'd like us to talk about, anything you'd like us to do? Would you like more supercars, less EVs? That's what I think we should do. But what do you think we should do? Write to us, podcast at Carrick expert.com.au or leave a comment on YouTube. If you are listening to this podcast, I do suggest you head over to YouTube and watch it because we've got pictures, we've got images, you can see all of our faces. Maybe that's not a selling point, but you know, <laughs> we'd love to know what you think. Uh, do like, subscribe, leave us a message. Jack, James, thank you for joining us this week and thank you all for joining us as well. We'll see you next time.